0: Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Altar by Robert Sheckley. This was first published in Fantastic, July, August, 1953. Uh, I'm a big Sheckley fan, and this is a very uh, short story, pretty obscure by him, Um not really a science fiction story, sort of a fantasy story, um, but it feels a little bit different than both. Uh, what did you think of it when you first read it?
1: I I liked it. I liked it. I think it's got... Um, <laughs> I, I think it looks like one thing it turns out to be another, and it turns out the two different things that it has go together very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I have a question about it. Sure. Uh, So just a quick reminder, the story seems to be about a fellow named Mr. Slater, who is living in a suburb called North Ambrose in New Jersey. Um, he goes to work by train. I think we're supposed to suppose that he goes into Manhattan Mm -hmm. since on his way home later in the story, he changes trains in Hoboken. Um, and there's a, There is a train that goes from Manhattan to Hoboken, and then he picks up. So anyway, that's the geography. Uh, And it's a small suburban town, and this is 1953, so the population is not nearly what it is today in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, I can believe that North Ambrose really is a small town. Uh, And a stranger accosts him and asks him to tell him where he can find the – Altar of Basmatane, and he's never heard of it, and that seems odd since he's lived in this small town for almost 20 years. And what ultimately happens, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to give away the, the
0: plot. Is that okay with you? Please do so. I, I'm always interested in these things. Yeah.
1: So um, he tells his wife about this. The wife says she doesn't know about such a place, but uh, the weekend passes, and then on the way, home on monday um he winds up going with this stranger in the blue top coat um to the altar that the stranger claims to have found um they do it by taking a very circuitous route which in entails doubling back on certain streets and going around them he hits the same ones numerous times it's much more like drawing a pentacle mm. than It is like walking from A to B. Um, And then there's the place, as well as a number of other mystic places, most of them having reference to voodoo gods, Mm -hmm. spirits, uh, although the mayor of the town is given a name which comes right out of Egyptian mythology. Um, And he walks in, I'm Mr. Slater, with this fellow whose name we discover partway through is Elor. And uh, son of a gun, as the story ends, it looks like he is about to be sacrificed on this altar by a sharp knife held in the hands of a sl- of a scrawny little man. Um, that's that's the plot, but it's missing one piece. And this is I wanted to ask you about, Jesse, because mm-hmm. I looked at the whole issue. Mm-hmm. After it says The Altar by Robert Sheckley, we get about eight or so lines in italics Mm -hmm. Um, hello is this the West Ambrose police station my name is Mrs. Robert Slater my husband failed to come home this evening and it's after 9 he couldn't have missed every train and besides he would have telephoned me don't be insolent Robert has never taken a drink in his life acting strangely well as a matter of fact he seemed a bit upset last night over some strange cults he says have moved into the town but I fail to see very well, please call me back. And then, switching into Roman type, it says, with a sprightly gait, Mr. Slater walked down Maple Street toward the station. And then we begin the part that I've just recounted. Here's my question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is the part in italics? Is that something that Sheckley wrote that's supposed to be part of the story? Or did an editor in a magazine, as they often do in science fiction magazines in the 50s, put something before the story, but this time actually changed the structure of the story by giving it a proleptic section.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, we we cannot know 100% for sure that um, Shackley didn't write that. I, I haven't actually looked at later publications to see if that was excised, but I am looking at a Uh, Another story from the same issue uh, of Fantastic July, August 1953, Confidence Trick by John Wyndham, and it has that same italicized font in front of it, and that same little editorial introduction. That's what I usually call them. Um, It's kind of like a teaser, I think. You're flipping through the magazine at the newsstand, I imagine. And you're, you're saying, hmm, that, that's an interesting-looking illustration. I wonder what this story's about. Well, you don't want to actually start reading the story. <laughs> so you just, like, see, oh, there's a little thing here, and then it's a teaser. It's something to pull you in. So it, it was my assumption that editor Howard Brown wrote that little editorial introduction to sucker you in to reading the story. Um, the one for... Uh, confidence trick is much more uh, by John Wyndham is much more traditional. It's, uh, it starts like this ever wonder where authors get their stories. We'll give you strong odds on how this one was cooked up, et cetera, et cetera. John Wyndham. Book, right? So uh, this one does sort of do something that normally editorial introductions don't do, which is give you insight into how the story will end Um, usually uh, when we talk about this, uh, the horrible word that annoys me greatly, spoilers, comes up. Um, I didn't find it spoiled my interest in the story because I I wanted to see where it was going, um, even though I kind of had an inkling anyways. Um, So yeah, I would expect that any later publication would not have this editorial intro, but it certainly fits... Um, somehow, even though it's not the same narrator, uh, with the rest of the story.
1: Well, it makes a difference to me in how I read the story. Whether I think of it as part of someone else's apparatus, or I think of it as as part of the story itself. Yeah. Um, if if this is part of the story, which is actually well, this story um, is a story that it. it starts out as if it it were sort of a satire of suburban life. Um, maybe it goes deeper than that. Maybe it's a satire of white middle-class life in America in the 50s. Yes. Um, we get lines like this. Um, Mr. Slater walked slowly home thinking, alter of Basmatane? Dark mysteries of ISIS? They sounded like cults. Could there be such places in this town? It seemed impossible. No one would rent to people like that. And then a little later on that same page, this is 145 in the Mm PDF. um, Odd, he mused later, uh, he told his wife about the two meetings with the foreign man. Foreign, you notice. Mm -hmm. Well, she said, pulling her house robe closer around her. No one's going to start any cults in this town. The Better Business Bureau wouldn't allow it to say nothing of the women's club or the PTA. (laughs) Mr. Slater agreed. So uh, the idea that nothing foreign is allowed in suggests that suburbia is not merely a place where like minded people have found a convenient and more affordable um, homestead, but they can still work in New York which goes unnamed here, although Mm -hmm. the geography is obvious. Um, Ambrose isn't really a town in New Jersey, by the way, although Mm -hmm. Hoboken is. Um, But rather, one can see that this is actually a defensive establishment, uh, encampment. And so when this foreign man comes in and manages to seduce Slater into willingly going to the altar <laughs> on which he'll be sacrificed um, something interesting has gone on it's, it's, it, the question arises uh, at, at first it says look this is a, this is a terrible suburban town it's just they're blind to what's going on around them they don't see what's going on in the world but then when we see what's going on in the world Maybe suburbia isn't so foolish to want to create a defense against it. And then if you look at the larger picture that encompasses both of those, maybe thematically what this is getting at is it's all well and good to know what your values are, but you need to be alert to what else is happening in the world. Now, if that's the case, that opening passage in which Mrs. Slater is talking to the police who are after all the guardians and defenders of the law that creates white suburbia uh, at this time, of course, uh, a place where you can have redlining and make sure that people who are not like us can move in. Uh, and we're told that maybe there was there was such a place in South Ambrose. Right. that had Other kinds of people. Right. Um, when she's talking to the police, they won't listen to her. They cut her off.
0: Oh, you're talking about the editorial introduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that fits
1: perfectly with this story because it suggests a blindness to the insights of women, just like the blindness to the insights of foreigners. Mm -hmm. There is a kind of 1950s white patriarchal uh, dominance in this story that the story calls into question and it even goes so far as to say you know <laughs> not seeing it can kill you i point out that that all of these spirits the majority of whom are uh voodoo uh, they're associated with black people they are associated with southern people mm-hmm. the seed of voodoo is haiti and in fact we even have uh i I. What was that uh, that movie? I I something about I something a zombie. Um, I can picture the movie in my mind, but I can't remember the title. But the, I walked
0: there, with a zombie as an old. That's it. Thank novel. you. Do you know the year of that? Uh, it's the '30s, I think. But no, I, I do really? not recall. Uh, okay,
1: so um, you see why I'm asking about that first part? Because if the first part sure. is part of this story then the story, it fits beautifully thematically, but it, it extends the blindness not just to the foreign and to the, the racial other, but also to the female, which is an extraordinary sensitivity on the part of the author. Mm. If, if it does not, then it's sort of amazing that the editor either co-opted it or just got lucky.
0: I, I have to correct you. It would have been fantastic. Not amazing. <laughs> um, uh, the editor uh, obviously liked the story enough to buy it. And uh, I, I liked that uh, Howard Brown, presumably it was Howard Brown who wrote the editorial introduction, since he's the editor, um, did it in this fashion because it isn't the normal standard way of doing it. He is actually sort of participating in the story a bit. And I, I, I agree. The wife here is very peripheral to the story. She... She's somebody for him to bounce his, his uh, you know, queries off of, like, have you ever heard of this? Does this make sense to you? Uh, when I read it with my students, um, I, of course, have to explain, you know, uh, he's looking things up in the phone book. What's a phone book? Oh, <laughs> um, you know, there's no internet. Uh, if you want to look something up on Yelp, Yelp doesn't exist, <laughs> right? Right. Um, There are there I I it sounds like you and I have a number of the same highlights. I had that section highlighted. Um Sheckley, as usual, very, very funny guy. Um he talks about about all those uh those cults. Ooh. Altar of Basmatane. Dark Mysteries of Isis? Um and uh you're pointing to how so I, I so it, then they get we get the better business Bureau women's club and the PTA right which is in contrast to <laughs> these these dark mystery cults and and then uh, you're you're talking about has made it's come a little closer. I note that you're saying that a lot of the the uh, cults or temples in this alternate version of North Ambrose are African, and I was thinking, um, no, no, well Haitian well actually the thing is is. There are a couple more. Uh, Dionysus Africanus. Now, Dionysus, I'm pretty familiar with. He's Greek, right? But yes, Dionysus it. Africanus is uh, obviously some sort of African version of Dionysus. And then um, the the only one that is not somehow based on um, on a real one is the one that he actually gets sacrificed to, right? The the Temple of Basmatane. I, I tried to look that up and I had very little success in getting anything close to it being a real god. So, um, one of the things that I think is really funny is there's sort of a, uh, a hidden side to what these cults are. And he, uh, it's right in the title, right? The Oh, and Isis is another uh, Egyptian, uh, god, right? Yes, she is. The, the uh, the dark mysteries of Isis, right mystery cults the and i'm explaining to my students the difference between uh mystery cults and regular religions and uh you know i think i know what the better business bureau is about i'm explaining to my students it's basically it's uh, a non-commercial version of yelp (laughs) right a local non uh non-commercial way of trying to give Consumers or whatever, their And, and uh, community standards, basically, right? Like, it's a way to provide feedback so that people uh, will respond as, as businesses and people will respond as individuals to bad behavior by uh, businesses. Makes sense, right? Women's club. Notice there's no men's club because, <laughs> of course, there'd be other clubs that exclude women, right? And then the PTA. <laughs> Which is the funniest one, because it's not a cult at all, right? Um, and yeah, I was thinking of the ones that go unnamed. Like, um, in my neighboring city, there is a, a Masonic Lodge, right? Uh, which literally looks like a temple in the, in, in the traditional sense. It, it's uh, very um, austere. For a small building, it looks um, rather intimidating, right? And then maybe down the road, there's an actual Sikh temple, and you say, oh, well, see, they're not exactly the same because one is a religion and the other one is uh, something else, right? It's sort of a club. So I love that he's he's con- uh, juxtaposing these two things, right? Uh, sort of the very white suburban 1950s uh, idea of what what it is to be on the fringes of a, a, a massive city and, and um, have everything just so. And the way it opens, right, how he's feeling, Mr. Slater? With a sprightly gait, Mr. Slater walked down Maple Street towards the station. There was a little bounce on to his step this morning, and a smile on his clean-shaven, substantial face. <laughs> I love that his face is substantial. It was a glorious spring morning. Everything's fine. Everything's perfect for our clean-shaven, broad-smiled white man. right? Um, And... I think it's important that he's being clean-shaven because in the 1950s, clean-shaven was the standard. If you're wearing a beard or a mustache, oh no, that's not to be done. Um, uh, Yet, yeah, Just yesterday, I was going through a magazine, which we are d- doubtless going to find some good things from, um, called The Wave. Uh, it was a hotel magazine from uh, the very late 19, 19th century uh, in San Francisco. So it's got all sorts of San Francisco News And one of the things that they did on the cover of every issue, I was thinking how clever a marketing gimmick it was, is they would feature a local uh, priest of some kind. You know, this week it's a reverend, and next week it's the archbishop. Um, And then inside there would be a a, a little commentary on this particular priest. I guess the editor would go to various congregations, sit in and listen, and then write up a story to try and draw... (laughs) Uh, you know, the the priest would say, hey, you know, I'm featured in that article. And then people would buy the magazine locally. I think that was probably the gimmick. Um, for For the most part, it was all uh, uh, C- Catholics and uh, Anglicans, not Anglicans, Protestants. And then they had, uh, I was very surprised to see a rabbi on the front of, of one of them. Uh, they never, ever turned out to have a leader of a mosque on the front, as far as I could tell. Um, but... Um, later on in in the issues, they would have photographs of the heads of every club, right? And in 1891, there was one thing that you had to be, (laughs) to be the president of a club, which was to be male and to have a mustache. (laughs) It was required, apparently, because there was like 18 clubs and they all had mustaches. Some had big mustaches, some had small mustaches. In the 1950s, having a mustache was just... Not, not on. You're, we're, you're a queer one if you have a mustache or a beard in the 1950s. Everybody's clean shaven, right? So, oh. pretty much. i sorry. mean sorry.
1: Beards, yes. Mustaches, no. Many, many, many people had mustaches. My father had a mustache.
0: It, it, that's clean shaven, at least to some degree,
1: right? Well, I said beards, no, but yes, beards were unusual, but mustaches were not. I'm sorry. I was just maybe on
0: the West Coast they were, but on the East Coast. These things fluctuate. So when I was a kid, almost nobody had a beard, right? And mustaches right. were somewhat invoked. Myself, I have uh, Yes,
1: but you weren't a kid in the 50s.
0: I was. Indeed. Indeed. But I've seen I've seen the movies, you know. Uh, Cary Grant doesn't have a mustache or a beard, right?
1: Adolf Manjou does.
0: <laughs> well, one's a movie star and the other one's sort of less of a movie star. You know, well, what I'm saying is the main, there's a mainstream, right? Today, uh, to see somebody with a tattoo is not a big deal, right? Uh, but in, in the 1950s, no movie star is going to have a, have a tattoo. Except for Popeye. <laughs> and uh, he's a cartoon character. And well, he's also uh, one of the strangest guys, but he is clean shaven. Yes, yeah, Let, she- let's uh, let's go, just switch back to the, this particular story and why why I was thinking about all of this together is that yeah, there is this strange aspect that everything is it's actually almost a coded anti racist story, right? And uh, you you said something kind of interesting. You said he he. Uh, so I'm going to misquote you, but basically he got suckered into this, and I thought that Mr. Slater might I said have seduced. seduced. Okay, yeah, that's actually a better word for it because what I was thinking is um, he might actually be fishing for people just like Mr. Slater, right? But I don't think that that's the. I don't. It, it, there's no evidence that you know he got suckered. Now, seduced, yes. Seduced by the mystery, the central mystery of this thing. What is this Church of Basmatane? And, well, it just so happens that they're running short on somebody they need for one of their ceremonies, and dot, dot, dot. Um, By the end, when he disappears, um, he's seen the way his city maybe not actually is, but the way it could be in another way. And there are other stories that do this. Um, there's a very famous novel recently uh, called The City in the City. Um, it's by uh, China Mayaville. Um I've not read it, but I, I know quite a bit about it. And uh, that's one of these city stories or town stories where there's a hidden side to the town, right? Um, one, of parallel the universe.
1: one of the key differences between Mayerville's novel and this story is that in Mayville's novel, the people of the two different towns, cities, know of the existence of the other. Right. Here, that's not the case. I think, for me, the the correct antecedent, or excuse me, a more perfect antecedent would be Hawthorne's quite famous short story called uh, Young Goodman Brown. Mm Mm-hmm which is 1835. Uh, I, I want to say something about it because it goes part way to answering your question about what's going on here. How is it hidden? What motivates um, Slater to follow Elor uh, in young Goodman Brown? What we have is a young good man. That is to say a, 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 a member of the congregation um, in a colonial in colonial America um, on the, the, Margins, you know, the woods or the forest is not far away from this town. Um, and the young good man, that is, he's a recently married member of the congregation, mm-hmm. and his wife is named, believe it or not, Faith. And he gets up in the middle of the night and finds that Faith is missing and follows her, or what he thinks is her path, and winds up going into the woods where he finds her approaching an altar. And All of the people around are, in fact, the inhabitants of the town. In daylight, they are the the proper, uh, church-going, reliable people he has grown up with and known his whole life. But when you follow a woman into the forest you may find that there are dark satanic things going on and she is about to be made into the bride of the devil. Um, They spot him, he runs because they're after him and she goes through the air, flying above him uh, with the devil carrying her away. Her pink ribbons that hold her hair together come fluttering down and he calls out, faith my faith but he manages to get back into town she is never found again but he spends the sorry she she is found but he spends the rest of his life not knowing whether he has had a glimpse into the reality of the Mm -hmm. town or not and i think that's what's going on here except that we don't have slater concern because slater dies Uh, There's Sheckley has made this into a horror story rather than simply an existential question about the nature of reality. But I think that the nature of reality question is very powerful here because we are so much made to recognize that the blindness of suburbia is caused by its adherence to its espoused beliefs like the Better Business Bureau, the PTA and Mm -hmm. so on. So I think this is not only a social commentary and, and a, a a good one, though subtle. Um, Very subtle. Yes, it is. I mean, one could read this and not notice it. One could just think, oops, it's a, a horror story. Or if you think that the, the proleptic beginning part that you think is by an editor is part of the story, you say, oh, well, it's just a mystery story. You just have to find out what happened to this guy who didn't come back. Um, but it's also a philosophical story and really – I don't know what's going on behind closed doors,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or maybe outdoors.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I also want to point out the, the circuitous path. Right at the beginning, he's asked for directions. I can't find this place. Right the the temple Basmatena, just doesn't ring a bell. Right, and then uh, he he actually is very interested in meeting this guy again to find out if he did find the place because. That doesn't sound normal to him. He doesn't express any kind of racism uh, exactly. He does note that he is brown-skinned or dark-skinned. It almost seems like you could read this, like if this was in a different kind of magazine, like if it was published in a music magazine, (laughs) Um, magazine about music, if there Uh was such a thing. You know, there's railroad magazines. There's all sorts of different genres. Uh, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is about, like, like liking black music or something, right? You know, go down to one of those... Uh, after after hours clubs, you know, in the basement of a of a hotel that being rented by you know some of the colored folks, because we get that sense that that's uh, the there in North Ambrose that South Ambrose is the other side of the tracks, right? All sorts of things happen down there, but we would never have them. Or it could be about drugs or all sorts of things. It's a it's a very open and nice metaphor in that respect. Um, it is. But um, the uh, the way he finds the temple of Basmatane is it's a sort of a traditional magic world, right? And I love that it's almost like there's a parallel Earth, right? Where everybody, yeah, there's there's still trains and all that stuff, but the the religion and the and the um, the mayor are completely different. It's like it was instead of being colonized by uh, Europeans. It's coloni. Uh, the New York area was colonized by Africans, because they've got all these. You know, Amenhotep is the mayor, right? <laughs> Even though he calls the mayor up, no, uh, my name is not Amenhotep, right? Um, so uh, I want to read the section where the the magical transformation of his city happens. It's it's great because it it is. It's almost like um, I've read a few of these. I guess they're called urban fantasy books where. Uh, the modern world becomes, uh, I don't know, fairy-like because of magic. Um, and uh, you, they use words like "wittershins," right, which is, I don't know, a fancy word for counterclockwise. So uh, just read, uh, this is on page 147. They walked down Oak Street towards the center of town. Then, just as they reached the first stores, Elor turned. He led Mr. Slater two blocks over and a block down, and then retraced a block. After that, he headed back towards the railroad sto- station. It was getting quite dark. Isn't there a simpler way? Mr. Slater asked. Oh, no, Elor said. This is the most direct. If you knew the roundabout way I came the first time... They walked on, backtracking blocks, circling, recrossing streets. They had already passed, going back and forth over the town Mr. Slater knew so well. As you point out, this is almost like they're making a pentagram, right? But as it grew dark, uh, darker... And as they approached familiar streets from unfamiliar directions, Mr. Slater became just a trifle confused. He knew where he was, of course, but the constant circling had thrown him off. How very strange, he thought. One can get lost in one's own town, even after living there almost 20 years. You can also see this as, like, walking down the street as a white man, and then... Suddenly, being changed into not a white man and walking down that same street in 1950s USA, that would be slightly different, at least slightly different, um, walking down that street as a homeless person or walking down that street as a you know a house house owner. So, it, it, it's nice that this can be read as it's a very open metaphor, um, like our last uh, Robert Checkley story, "Keep Your Shape." Yeah, it can be read as a metaphor for all sorts of things that are not explicitly stated in the story.
1: Agreed. There's so that it opens up and opens up. Let me add one thing to that very nice uh, recognition, Jesse. Um, just as I ask, should we take the the proleptic italicized section of, as part of the story? one might also ask whether or not to take the quite interesting illustration as part of the mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. although obviously Sheckley didn't do it. Um, the, the, the illustration is signed R. Cossette, but it says in type, Illustrator Ray Cassette.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, somebody seems to have made a mistake, um, but I wonder about this mistake because... You and I have been happily referring to the altar of Basmatane, which is the the opening query that uh, Elor has for Mr. Slater. Um, In this illustration, Mr. Slater is clearly following Elor, and it doesn't look as if he's following next to him as if they were walking together. Mm -hmm. It looks almost as if... He has developed a desire to see what Elor wants. And if you look in the background, you can see uh, that they're approaching the Temple of the Dark Mysteries of Isis, mm-hmm. left Orifice Street, these are places mentioned in the story, and on a building next to them, but coming right up out of Elor's head, it says, Altar of B-A-S-M-A-T-I-N. Mm-hmm. I don't know if R. Cosette or Ray Cassette <laughs> is French, although the surname certainly is. But that's not bas matin, it's mm-hmm. bas matin, which means early morning in French. Ah. So I don't think it's just an accident that we've got the wrong name on the altar. That time of day is one of those liminal periods when you can't tell what's day from night and night from day and whether what you're seeing is real or it's just a projection of your own mind or you're suddenly getting an insight into something that had previously been hidden by the palpable surface of reality, there is something here that makes us think, wow, is, there's the story, clearly. But then maybe the story is a little bigger, clearly. And then maybe the story even includes this Illustration Clearly, <laughs> the more we go into it and the more we try to understand the pieces, there's always more to say.
0: And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.